Larry and Sharon Frank for a number of years. In fact, we served together for a number of years when we were working in the district office. He served as the administrative director for our superintendent, and uh, uh, we've had a lot of meetings together through the years. I've had an opportunity to hear his ministry. He pastored within this section years ago, was a presbyter out here. And so when he left the ministry of the district office and was looking for a home church, I was so very, very thankful that the, the two of them chose to attend Grace Assembly. We are blessed. We are. Go ahead. Yeah. They're clapping before they hear you preach. So <laughs> we are blessed that um, there's a level of, of maturity and spiritual wisdom and knowledge of the word that God has has placed within them that we get to be the beneficiaries of. And uh, I've already heard the message he's going to preach. You're going to be blessed this morning. Would you give a grace assembly welcome to Pastor Larry Frank as he comes to minister the word this morning. Good morning, church. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's try that again. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. By the way, Pastor Doug is leaving not because he, he's heard it and doesn't want to hear it again. That's right. He wants to be first for the food. That's what it is. I count, I count it a privilege whenever I, I, I get to share the Word of God. Um, matter of fact, this month we've not been here much at all. We've been all over. We were in Watertown last weekend. And I was just super thankful that it wasn't snowing. Hallelujah. I think after hearing the weather report for today, I'm super thankful I'm not there this week. Because I think I would blow back if the, you know. So we're glad. We're home. We're, we're here with family. Amen. And we, we really honestly feel like you're family. We are so privileged to be a part of what God is doing here. Amen. What a wonderful privilege. And I'm excited about the future. Amen? I'm excited about what God has for us in the future. Well, if you would, turn with me to, or take your electronic device, whatever, and turn or, or find uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going down to verse number 17. And I'm reading out of the NIV. And so I'm reading, I'm going to start halfway through Verse number 17. It's a great verse. Oh, verses, voices from. And, and, and Paul writes, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love. Wow, what a, what a wonderful picture that gives us, it doesn't it? Rooted and established. I mean, if you're just rooted, you can be pulled up easily, but if you're rooted and established, okay, rooted and established in love, may have power, I pray that you may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That you may grasp, that you may somehow just Understand just slightly, possibly, the love, the, the, the immense love that he has for you, the immeasurable love that he has for you. Father, we commit into your hand this your word and pray that you'll speak to our hearts through it. 
might you be honored this morning. Lord, might your name be lifted high and might we be drawn into this wonderful understanding of what it means to have a God that loves us in this fashion. We thank you for your goodness and your precious name. Amen. God's immeasurable love. That's what, that's what I entitled this. Immeasurable, by the way, means boundless, vast, immense, cannot be measured. That is the love of God for you and I. Now here's, here's the premise of what I want to talk to you about this morning. I wonder sometimes if we really grasp how much he loves you. I wonder if you really understand that, if you really grasp it. Because what happens so often is that we formulate our thoughts about love, our way of looking at love uh, through our experiences, through the past. You know, if we've been hurt at some point in time. Over the years, uh, on Father's Day, I would preach messages about the love of the Almighty God, of the Father. And people would come to me after the service and they would say, they, have, they can't comprehend that because they didn't have a father that loved them. They, they didn't experience the love of a father. And in turn, I found over the years that many times we draw boundaries with regards to how we love and how we express love and how we experience love, how we, we take in that love because of the past. And we, and we draw boundaries. And we, we somehow determine what is love and what isn't love by what has transpired to us over our lifetime. And so when we hear about the boundless and the immeasurable love of God, we're going, what does that mean? How do I cope with that? Now, right off the bat, let me, let me tell you this. I am not talking about what the old-timers would have called cheap grace. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not talking about, well, he loves you so much if you do something wrong and you ask for forgiveness, he'll just forgive you. And you're, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a God that loves you enough that he will discipline you. Because I firmly believe that discipline is an act of love. Boy, it got quiet in here, didn't it? I love my kids enough that I discipline them. I love my grandkids enough that I discipline them. And our daughter back there can say amen to that, to both of those statements. You see, discipline is, a, is an act of love. So, but, but the reality is that Somehow we read through the Bible and we see a God who seems to be angry and wrathful and we say, oh, well, what, how's that love? And yet as we continue to read, what we find is unfolding before us a picture of his love, wonderful love that has no bounds. You know, <clears throat> when Sharon and I grew up, we lived only about 20 minutes away from each other, never knew each other, but during the time of growing up, but we grew up right at the foothills of the Adirondacks. She grew up in a place called Hagaman. Anybody ever hear of Hagaman near? Nobody. You did. Hallelujah. I grew up in a place called Broad Alban. Nobody's heard of Broad Alban, right? Somebody? Well, you have because you're related. <laughs> Nobody else has. I mean, oh, you have too? Oh, Hallelujah. Well, we grew up in these little towns in the foothills of the Adirondacks, and um, we, we lived just, just at the border of the, of the Adirondack Preserve, 
And just over that border, that what was called a boundary line for the Adriatic Preserve, was a place called what, what we knew as the Great Sacandaga Lake. Anybody ever hear of the Great Seas? Oh, we got two this time. Hallelujah. Well, uh, that lake, by the way, a little history here. Now, you, you're going to say, what does this have to do with the love of God? I'll explain it all just a bit. Hold on. The, this lake was actually, it was determined that a lake or something was needed there back in the early 1900s because of the fact that every year the runoff from the uh, mountains, the Adirondacks, it, it would flood not only the Sacandaga River, but it would also flood the Hudson River and it would flood town, towns along the Hudson River. So they determined that something had to be done to stop the flooding. And so they had determined that very possibly if they dammed up the Sacandaga River, creating a lake, that in turn that would prevent the, the flooding from taking place. And so to preserve those towns south of Albany, that's what they made plans to do. And in 1924, by the way, I didn't know that off the top of my head. I looked that up. 1924, they passed a bill to create the Great Sacandaga Lake. And the Great Sacandaga Lake, um, it is not... It is said to be the largest man-made lake in New York State. Not the largest lake, but the largest man-made lake in New York State. It's about 42 square miles of surface, about 62 mile, or 66 miles uh, shoreline. It's about 29 miles long and 5 miles wide maximum. 32 feet deep. 70 feet deep maximum. So it's not a deep lake. It's not a, it's not a big lake. But it does provide help for those towns in the Hudson River, on the Hudson Valley. It also provides water for Schenectady. Our grandson loves to hear the word Schenectady. He thinks that's a real cool name, Schenectady. He likes to say it. Schenectady. Well, the, the, the lake provides water, just like Skinny Atlas provides water for Syracuse. Great Sacandaga Lake provides water for Schenectady. But it also provides a means by which people can go on vacation and be refreshed and renewed and all of that. That's the purpose of this lake. But there are boundaries. Number one, the lake is never going to get any larger. It's never going to get any larger than it's 29 by 5 miles. And it's not going to get any larger. It's not going to get any deeper. And the interesting thing is, though, it provides refreshing for, for water, for Schenectady, it, I'm here to tell you, like Skinny Atlas, there are times when the water can be contaminated and so on. There are, there are boundaries that have been established for this lake. Just like there are boundaries that we establish for our love for other people, for our love for God, and for how we picture God's love being for us. But I am here to tell you this morning that there are no boundaries to the love that God has for you. None whatsoever. There are no boundaries. He loves you despite. Despite you. <laughs> That's okay. He loves me despite me. So here, here's the message now. If we come to that place of where we can understand the boundless, immeasurable love of God, that in turn, that will determine how we worship Him. Sometimes our worship is not all it should be because we have somehow lost sight of this boundless and measurable love of God for us. And we put a boundary there. How can I express my love for God when in turn he doesn't answer my prayer? 
How can I possibly? And we put this boundary and we somehow feel like maybe he doesn't love me quite as much as I thought. No, that's not the case. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he's expressed that love in a very interesting way. He's expressed that love through what we have come to call the cross. The, the cross, people wear it around their necks now, right? Maybe some of you have a cross that you wear right today. We, we, we take this cross, we put it at the top of our steeples at our churches. We take this cross, we, we, we put it on the front of our churches. We, we take this cross and, and, and so that cross becomes a symbol of who we are, of our Christian stance, of our Christian relationship. But for the early church, the cross was a symbol of torture. It was a symbol of punishment. But the reality is that it's actually symbolic of God's love for you and I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The symbol is an expression of God's love. And so every time we look at that cross, we should be reminded of what God, how God sees us and what God has done for us and how, is he, how he's expressed his love to us. That's a very real factor. Oh, how he loves you. So much that he sent his son. Now, isn't it interesting that we use the symbol, the, a symbol of torture to the early church. We use that as our symbol. And, and Max Lucado talks about the fact that, that other religions have symbols that are not of the same nature as the cross. For instance, the Jews have a star. That is their symbol. Even Islam has a half moon. And we have a cross. But I'm here to tell you that the cross has a definite, deep, abiding meaning for you and I because it expresses his love for you and for me and for all mankind. So as we, as we read through Paul's words here, he says, Could you, might, you grasp, might you grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of God? Might you grasp that? Might you get a hold of that? Because if you get a hold of that, that will dramatically change who you are, how you relate to him, how you relate to one another. It will dramatically change you. So as we, as we begin to look at, at this love of God as expressed through the cross, let me, let me talk to you first of all about the breadth of, the, the width of, of his love for you, for mankind. For God so loved, who did he love? For God so loved the world. It does not say, for God so loved the lovely, the handsome. It doesn't say, for God so loved the intelligent, the rich. It doesn't say, for God so loved the capable, the educated. It does not say any of that, does it? It doesn't say, for God so loved the American. It does not say any of that. It says, for God so loved the world, the outcasts of society, 
the down and outers, the trouble, the unlovable. That's what it says. And you and I struggle with that, don't we? How can God possibly love these individuals? I'm here to tell you, he does. When we read the words that he does not desire that any should perish, that in turn we need to bring that into a reality for you and I so that we can cope with that. He doesn't, he doesn't desire that anyone be lost. He loves. He loves us with a deep, abiding, meaningful love. And because of that, he accepted our punishment. You and I deserve to be punished. You and I deserve the very worst, but he doesn't. When we acknowledge him as Savior, when we say yes to him, and we, when we acknowledge that he is, he is our personal Savior, this is what happens. When we acknowledge he is our personal Savior, he in turn pours out his love even more so upon us. He's loved us from the very beginning. Now, the interesting thing is, you and I, God has a will for each one of us. Now, we can step out of his will. But even in doing that, I'm here to tell you, you can never, you can never for one second step out of his heart. That is mind-blowing, isn't it? Because what happens with you and I, when we look at these situations, many times if people do us wrong or what we perceive as wrong, when people somehow don't live up to our expectations, that in turn we will make decisions. I've been involved with families over the years where people have been cut off because somehow they've not quite lived up to the expectations of the one loving them. But you can never do that with God. You can never step out of his heart. He will continue to love you despite you. Boy, that's good news. Anybody here feel like truly you don't deserve to be loved? You don't have to raise your hand. Are there? I've been there. I felt like, wow, I don't deserve any of this. And yet God still loves me. Now, the reality is that we know the breath of God's love is for everyone, but there's also the reality of the, of the height and the length of God's love. And to do that, we can measure it against the cross. Do you realize that the cross, the shadow of the cross, actually spans all of geography? There's not a, there's not a nation, there's not a continent, there's not a, whether it be north, south, east, or west, there's nothing that is somehow out of the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. That cross, that, that symbol of his love for mankind, it spreads across the entire world. It's never out of his purview. And he loves every, every person. His his, the, the shadow of the cross spans across not only the geographical boundaries, but off the, off also the population boundaries, the people boundaries. And, that, and the shadow of the cross spans across all of history. There's never been a point in time where he has somehow not loved people. And there are, but as you read through history, I'm a, I'm a history major. I was a history teacher. These young people don't hate me. I was a history teacher, and the reality is that I came to grips with the fact that he has never, he has never not loved people throughout history. 
He's always loved us. And the shadow of the cross spans all of history. The, the reality is that there are certain things we see as a result of looking at the cross. God hates sin. Right? God hates sin. He cannot look upon sin. He, cannot, he will not condone sin, but he hates sin. Matter of fact, he turns his face from sin. And so, as you look at the cross, realizing that God hates sin, here's what you're seeing. You're seeing this symbol of, of that which Jesus was hung on, so to speak. You see a cross where the Savior of the world was nailed, piercing skin. The skin and all of the tissues and so on were human. <laughs> when he walked this earth, he was 100% human as well as 100% God. And so the pain of the piercing of that flesh was the same that you and I would feel. And he endured that. But here's something I feel like is even more important. He also endured that moment in time when all of the sin of all mankind was placed upon the Son, and in turn the Father had to turn his back to the Son. And so he had to experience the separation. And why did he do that? Why did Jesus endure that? Because of you. Because of you and his love for you. Because there was no other way that the sin could be eradicated. He had, to, he had to lay the sin upon Jesus so that in turn, you would not have to endure the eternal punishment. That's his love for you. Now, at the same time that, that, that God hates sin, he loves sinners. And when he looks at you and I, he looks at you and he doesn't see even the sin that you committed prior to coming here. You know those words that were spoken that shouldn't have been spoken? Those thoughts that you had that you shouldn't have had? The time that you yelled at your kids trying to get them out the door? Nobody had that problem, right? He, when he looks at you, he looks at you through the to the filter of his blood, of the blood of his son. That's how God looks at you. Remember that lake, that lake, great Sacandaga Lake. My my in-laws uh, purchased property on that lake back in the early fifties. About a quarter of an acre it is. They, there, there was a cabin on that property and. And this cabin was just a shell, and so they went in and they finished out the cabin. And they went there all the time that my wife was growing up. They went there every summer. When I came in the family in 1974, I, I can remember going to that cabin, looking at it, thinking it was the biggest dump I'd ever seen in my life. It was nothing more than a shack. It was awful, in my opinion. And yet when my mother-in-law would arrive, she would, she would comment, oh, isn't this wonderful? I mean, she, you, would have think, you would have thought to listen to her that it was the Taj Mahal. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this beautiful? I mean, isn't this wonderful? And I can remember sitting there with my kids, and then we were all looking at one another going, hmm, 
She's seeing something we're not seeing. But the, here, here's the thing. She was looking at it from a different fil- through a different filter. You see, when she looked at the cabin, she looked at the cabin through the filter of memories, of the past, of experiences, of the good times, of the, of the times that she had with family because family was all important to her. That's how she looked at it. And she was looking at this dump through a filter. Well, you know, as as time went on, I began to look at that dump through a different filter. And all of a sudden, I could remember all the years that our kids and the two of us went up there and spent a few weeks. Just a wonderful time. And all of a sudden, I never looked at it quite as the Taj Mahal. But all of a sudden, it took on a different meaning. Why? Because I was looking at it through a different filter. And the point being here is that when God looks at you, he looks at you through a filter of the blood that was shed for you. He doesn't look at you and see your sin. He doesn't look at you and see what a horrible person you are. He doesn't look at you and say, there is no hope for that one. But he looks at you through the blood of Christ and he sees someone who he loves dearly, dearly. You see, he he hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And in turn, he loved you so much, he loves the sinner so much that he sent his son to this earth to die that we might have life. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The perfect Jesus. You see, the height of this cross provides forgiveness and protection and safety and refreshing and renewal. The the cross provides all of that because he loves you. Well, what about the depth of his love? How deep is his love? Listen to these words. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin. Love is an interesting reality. If I were to go around this room and say, define love for me, most of you would not be able to do it. You've experienced it possibly, you kind of understand it, but what is it? And the interesting thing is that love, love kind of is different when, you know, there's that initial love between a man and a woman that, wow, you know. But the love factor changes when you have kids. Have you ever noticed that? When children come along, boy, there's a different factor there. And all of a sudden, you realize that all the selfishness has to be put aside and, and all, you, you look at your kids and you say, oh my goodness, my time has to change, my, my preferences have to change, my do- desires have to change. Something's got to change because these kids, these kids are my kids. You know, and, and, and the, our, the men's case here, we fathered those kids and the women, we've carried those kids and they're our kids. And, and all of a sudden, that love factor changes, doesn't it? It changes again when you have grandchildren. How many times, do you realize, all of you who have grandchildren, it, it changes again, doesn't it? I mean, a whole different ballgame. 
Now all of a sudden you're letting your kid, these grandkids get away with things you never allowed your kids to get away with. Right? But there's this love factor. This love factor. There's a story about uh, Queen Victoria's uh, second daughter. She had five girls and four boys, by the way. Queen Victoria of England, she, her second daughter by the name of Princess Alice. Princess, Princess Alice, uh, she had she married, she had children. She had a child, four years old, who contracted black diphtheria. It's a death knell. The child would die. Well, they quarantined the child basically because of the fact that they didn't want to somehow expose uh, Princess Alice to black diphtheria. And so consequently, they, they quarantined the child. The child had a nurse. And, and one day, Princess Alice was passing by and she overheard her four-year-old son say to his nurse, why doesn't mommy kiss me anymore? And with that statement, Princess Alice was so moved that she rushed to that four-year-old little boy and smothered him with kisses and held him. And within days, that four-year-old little boy was dead, and so was the 35-year-old mother. So why did she do that? That becomes the question. Why did she do that? can't say that she did it out of logic because it doesn't make sense at all, does it? You can't say that she did it out of a royal decree because there would be no royal decree that would ever claim that she had to have contact with her child. And it wasn't done out of um, moral responsibility. Why was it done? Out of love of pure, unadulterated love for that child. Because that child was hers. She carried that child. So here is the father this morning looking down on you and his the depth of his love is so great. Remember, he's looking at you through that filter of the blood of Christ and he looks at you and he says, that one is my child. That one is my child. That, that, that one who stepped out of the will did not step out of my heart. That one is my child. And I love that one more than I could begin to even imagine. The interesting thing is the love of God is not static. You do, you do realize that. It grows and, and moves and and in turn, that love is available to your children and to your children's children and to your so on. It's not self-centered. God is not self-centered in his love. He loves you, not because you did something in return, not because you loved him in return. He loved you. He loves you because. You see, this God of love has changed you. It changes the immoral, it changes the God-defying, it changes the hardened heart, it changes the lowliest, it changes people. It change, has changed many of you in this room. 
and it will continue to change. His love will not end. It does not all of a sudden stop. He loves you to the very end. You see, his love is immeasurable. It's wide enough to include all mankind. It's high enough to lift and protect all mankind. It's deep enough to reach all mankind. That's his love for you, for that one that you're struggling loving. (laughs) And now you can go home and you can love in a new way. He loves you and he's not going to stop loving you. Now that doesn't mean that you can go out of here and do what you whatever you please. No, 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 no. He will discipline, but he does it out of love. He loves mankind. For God so loved that he gave. 